Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is plastic surgeon and assistant professor at SUNY Downstate Medical Center, Dr. Richard Westreich, MD, and he and I are going to be talking about Let's Crush COVID. Do you miss hanging out with your friends? Want to see live sports or concerts done with Zoom? Then roll up your sleeves and get vaccinated, encourages top NYC plastic surgeon, Dr. Richard Westright. He's joined the movement to help spread the truth about the efficacy and safety of the COVID-19 vaccines and to dispel misconceptions swirling on social media. He and his dedicated team have created fun and informative videos featuring familiar tunes with retooled lyrics to encourage more Americans to crush COVID by getting their vaccines. Dr. Westright has been selected multiple times by Castle Conley and New York Magazine as one of the top doctors in facial plastic surgery. He's an assistant professor, as I said, at SUNY Downstate Medical Center and is also on staff at Lenox Hill and Mount Sinai Hospitals in New York City. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Dr. Westright. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. Okay, well, before the show, we decided, okay, what are we going to talk about? Obviously, it's about COVID and how to dispel the misconceptions about COVID, and you are doing it in this very unique way with your videos, which I love. Um, Let's start with, like, what are the misconceptions? Why aren't people getting vaccinated? What's the big deal? Why won't they do it? I mean, there's a variety of misconceptions that have been propagated both on social media and I think even through more traditional media channels. Uh, Probably the biggest misconception, I think, was about the speed at which this vaccine was developed. Um, I actually did an a Instagram post this morning, and uh, I'm sorry, on YouTube, and, um, and I noted that a, a measles uh, vaccine in the 1960s was developed in four years, which was warp speed in the 1960s. Um, that's the vaccine that everybody uses now, and here we are 50 years later, And I don't think it's irrational to think that with the technological advances, that four years could become one year in 2020. Um, But that being said, what most people neglect to mention is that mRNA vaccines have been getting tested in a variety of platforms for the past 15 years. Uh, And in fact, multiple clinical trials have been done for either anti-tumor vaccines um, or for other infectious agents. Uh, in, in a number of clinical trials. And it's, it's, you don't have to dig that deep to find that info. You just go to the CDC clinical trials and type in mRNA, and you'll see a long list of other studies. So the reason I mention that is even though those were phase one and phase two trials, um, they were able to follow those people out and determine phase one is safety, right? So there's been a ton of phase one work. So I think that's probably the biggest misconception that this thing was basically thrown together in a year, and how could they possibly say it's safe? Okay, so I'm um, so going to ask you, you why doesn't data, I'm gonna, I want to yeah. interrupt because why doesn't this? Why hasn't the CDC told us that from the beginning? That's never, I, I, you know, the when uh, in just like, in, I mean, Dr. Fauci, who I've been listening to, and you know, doing what he says to do. But uh, they never really discuss that because that is one of the biggest misconceptions when I talk to people. Well, this thing was just put together in six months or a year. How could it possibly, you know, what do we know about the safety? Why isn't that kind of an upfront kind of message from 
the CDC? I mean, obviously, I, I, I don't know why <laughs> they're not focusing on that. Um, uh-huh. It would be logical <laughs> to think yes. that they should. Um, I think they had so much of a message to put out that maybe that just got lost in the sauce. Um, but I think once they started getting some pushback, they, they should have tried to do better public service outreach with this information. Um, you know, so I wish they had. I think that it, it may have created a lot more acceptance of this vaccine. And frankly, I mean, this vaccine is so good, the, that technology, I think that's going to be all the vaccines in the future. Um, but that's, you know, we can talk about that later. Um, you know, just for example, um, I have a list here. You know, in 2008, they did a mel- melanoma vaccine, phase one and two. Moderna, one of the companies, had done phase one, two, and three for cytomegalovirus, which is a virus that is potentially problematic for pregnant women, um, especially in the first trimester. And they first investigated that vaccine in 2017. And then in January 2020, they initiated phase three before the COVID vaccine you know, even happened. They also did another vaccine for a parainfluenza in 2019 to 2021, another long phase one trial. So, but again, you just go to clinicaltrials.gov and if people, you know, don't believe what I'm saying, they can see the data right there. They did, Moderna also did Zika in 2019, but then the world forgot about Zika. <laughs> so it didn't go yes, anywhere. Sir. So, but, um, you know, uh, on these social media platforms, I occasionally do wind up engaging in people in a discourse back and forth, and somebody was making a claim about deaths from the mRNA vaccine. And so this morning, I went back and I, and I, I did another sort of data search to see if maybe something had happened. Um, and again, they have found no deaths related to this mRNA vaccine. There have been reports from media but every single one of those reports has basically been debunked by, you know, the medical research about the cause of death after the fact. Um, then you look at other vaccines, traditional vaccines. There's all sorts of problems with traditional vaccines. People have reactions. People die from those vaccines, uh, from the reactions. Um, a lot of the things that you're seeing with the vaccine as a side effect, so to speak, is just the immune response and what that looks like. So, you know, people have received other vaccines that I think are actually more dangerous, these live attenuated viruses, or you saw with the J&J with the viral vector uh, vaccine that that created some clotting problems that actually did result in some patient deaths. Um, This mRNA technology, at least at first glance, and now we're, you know, 2.2 billion people worldwide, so I think we're past first glance. (laughs) Um, This mRNA technology seems basically perfect because all they have to do is insert a protein and they could basically code for any type of protein. Um, But the vector of getting it into the body seems to be, I think, safer than a lot of other vaccine platforms. So, you know, I know I just gave you like a hundred things, but I'm like super passionate about, you know, with mRNA and the stuff I read, it's crazy. It, 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 and I think about all of the pharmaceuticals that they advertise on television and then they tell you, you know, the the disclosure that all of the terrible things that can happen to you, which seem, much, I mean, much, and people take these every day, right? It's like billions of dollars worth of drugs, yet they're reluctant to 
as you say, take these, you know, the uh, vaccine for COVID. So I never, I don't understand that reasoning either. Uh, my question also, yeah. I have this, yeah, who are the people, or I say maybe what groups are that you're, that you work with, that you talk to, um, are, are the most reluctant to get the vaccine? What are the demographics? It's hard for me to tell on social media because, you know, people just yeah. have a username. So I don't get a lot of data, but I will say probably the majority of the YouTube and Instagram posts, uh, there does seem to be a male predominance. That I can say. I can't say if they're conservative or liberal. That I can't tell. Um, I can't say if they're from the north or the south, but it definitely seems to be a male predominance of the people that are engaging me with, you know, sort of negative feedback, um, which is interesting. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, I would imagine uh, it's probably more of the younger demographic, and that I actually, usually these posts are going to be seen mostly from the 25 to 35-year-old range. So I think it is a younger male demographic uh, that seems to be more resistant, at least according to my experience. But you'd be surprised that, you know, there are people in, in the hospital, healthcare workers, other doctors, you know, same, same conversation. Um, which Same I find conversation, meaning they're not going to take the. Yeah, I had a yeah. conversation with a nurse who I was totally surprised. Yes, she wasn't going to get the vaccine, and I wasn't sure why. I mean, maybe the demographics is your the 25 to 35 year old males is like no one's going to tell me what to do, particularly the government or public. I mean, hmm. I, I don't. I think also this in this country, and maybe you can comment on this. People really don't see or really don't have an understanding of public health, uh, particularly if they haven't maybe traveled around the world and seen countries that really don't have a public health system, that that's what makes our country strong, us strong people. Um, and, it, you know, that I don't think that's emphasized enough. I think that's one of the other issues, maybe. I think, you know, it's a, it's a shame that I think over the last couple of years, it does seem like public health has become politicized, um, but it's really not supposed to be. It's, it's obviously somebody has to run it. So, and, you know, by proxy, it, it really should be government agency that can kind of oversee everything. Uh, but public health is not only a, a federal, it's also a state and, and local uh, issue. So there's, there's multiple people involved in that. And, you know, a lot of them aren't elected officials and they're not trying to be political. They're just trying to look at what needs to be done in order to ensure a safer, healthier experience for the general population. Um, I like to always talk about uh, TB, tuberculosis, with people. I mean, I don't know if people are aware, but if you test positive for TB, the public health or the government or whatever you want to say, they force you to get treated. You're not allowed to not be treated for TB to the point that if you refuse treatment, they, they can set up a scenario in which you're, you're, you have to go someplace to actually be treated and seen receiving your treatments. Um, and that's been going on for, God knows, 50, 60 years. But people accept that, maybe because it was in the past or maybe because it's not so common. But there's no public outcry about the fact that we force people with tuberculosis to get treated. Absolutely. As a social worker and a hosp- and I did 
hospital social work, uh, uh, you always had to be tested for TB. That and that, or you can't work at the hospital. Okay, so that was a given. So, yeah, um, yeah. and I that's test every year. Yeah, exactly. So, and for whatever reasons, people aren't aware of that. Any what other any other misconceptions or some that we should focus on? I mean, we've mentioned a couple. Uh, well, I, I touched on the deaths, and I think I, I, I discussed that. Uh, more, more recently, there's been this report about myocarditis, uh, for, specifically from the, the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and I do believe that there is a very, very, very small risk of having some myocarditis from, frankly, having any COVID vaccine. But uh, I recently talked about this on another show. They, they actually did a study in people who had COVID by doing MRIs to see uh, what, their, what their level of heart inflammation was. And they found just on a random sampling, not even on symptomatic people, that 60% of patients with COVID had radiological evidence of heart inflammation. So what I always tell people is the vaccine isn't the virus. The vaccine is a portion of the virus that can't do anything to you, and then your body mounts an immune system response and creates antibodies. If those antibodies in your body happen to cross-react with another portion of your body, like your heart tissue or the blood vessel tissue that creates a vasculitis, that was going to happen if you got COVID, and that was going to happen much worse. So a lot of the things that they're calling a side effect of the vaccine are, but they really are a side effect of the way that your body's antibodies might cross-react with self. So all the things they're seeing with myocarditis are, I think in Israel there was like, I forget the exact numbers, uh, it might have been 20 or 30 people out of you know 5 million. It was a really low number, and yet 60% of real COVID patients have that problem. Same thing with the J&J. 30% of patients with COVID have clotting problems. Again, it's not the vaccine that's causing the clotting problems. It's more likely the antibody response to the protein in the vaccine that in those patients is causing that cross-reactivity. So that's where I think part of the problem is a lot of the misconceptions of side effects. You know, I had, I had a terrible response to my first dose of uh, the Moderna vaccine. You know, I was, I was basically sick for, you know, 12 hours just, you know, throwing up. And um, I was actually kind of happy about it. I kind of felt like it meant it was working. <laughs> that was my question because I, I, I want to stop you there because I didn't have a reaction. As you're saying that, I'm thinking, okay, I have to ask the doctor this. I had the two vaccines and I had no reaction, maybe a little bit tiny, tired, but, you know, I'm not sure that that I was or I wasn't. So, and I'm thinking, did he really give me the right dose or uh, am I not responding? I mean, what is, that's not a good thing because I'm not responding. Is that true? Is that possible? I don't think so based on the data from the studies, but, um, you know, like after my first dose, I was like, oh, I was so sick, I better have antibodies. So I sent off an antibody test. Um, and that's actually what started all of this uh, social media stuff with the music. And we can talk about that later. But yeah. so I, I sent a confirmatory antibody test um, and then saw that I had antibodies. But other, other people, 
you know, there's two cells to the immune system. There's the humoral, which is going to produce the antibodies, and then there's the whole T-cell wing, uh, which some people have more of a T-cell-mediated response, which are, you know, very significant in helping the body fight infection. And so their symptom complex is going to be greatly reduced if they have more of a T-cell-mediated immunity, um, which, is, which is critical. And they actually say that the T-cell response to the vaccines tends to be stronger than from the natural virus itself. So that's one of the things that they've seen in some of the early studies. So, but I'd say, you know, you could get you can get an antibody test. Anybody that's concerned that it didn't work, just get a blood test and make sure you got antibodies. Yeah. That's, that will be my next visit to the doctor. That's exactly what I'll do. <laughs> um, okay. Now, what are <laughs> vaccinated themselves are really concerned? Well, my two-year-old, should I be vaccinating them? But this is a different situation and what's good? Okay. But can you address that? So you cut out just in the very first part of that. I'm sorry. Um, so I got, I got, I heard you say about the two-year-old. Could you just repeat the first part of the question? Yeah, please? it was that parents who get vaccinated themselves are still somewhat reluctant when they're thinking about when their kids, let's say two-year-olds or two-year-olds and up, will be able to be vaccinated. Um, kind of a little bit reluctant. Maybe I shouldn't vaccinate the children there. Uh, it's even though they themselves may be vaccinated, but there's this kind of reluctance to do what to their kids, the kid, they have their growing bodies and there are all kinds of reasons they give. So I was, can you address that concern or that misconception that it would not be a good thing to vaccinate the children? Well, I think as, as the studies have continued and obviously they're, they're looking at younger populations. I just saw this morning, I think that Pfizer thinks they're going to have the under 12 um, dosing, you know, worked out and by uh, September, uh, which would be great for the new school year. Um, look, you're a psychologist, so you, or, or you have a psychology background, and it, you, you could probably comment better than me about, um, you know, parents tend to be a bit more protective of their children than they even are of themselves. But from a rational standpoint, um, you know, let's talk about what mRNA is. And I think if people understood that, they wouldn't be so concerned. But I, I understand it. Um, but I do think that, you know, I, look, I don't want my kids having to wear masks anymore. Frankly, like, I just feel badly for them still walking around wearing a mask at school and sporting events. And it's just terrible. Um, and there's a whole bunch of socialization that the kids are missing out on because they really need to see other other kids' faces. I mean, that's a big, big part of maturation and development that we just basically took away from them in the last year. So mRNA is something that your body makes. It's made in the nucleus. It is transported out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm or the area of the cell around the nucleus where it's then released, and then ribosomes, which are another little thing, connect to it and create the protein. mRNA cannot travel back into the nucleus, and it's brought out of the nucleus on special sort of carrier molecules. So this mRNA basically goes into your body. It gets into the cell. It cannot, by definition, get into your nucleus and change your DNA. And it has a half-life, and it, it makes protein while it's around, and it 
but then your body destroys it like it destroys its own mRNA. So it's a very transient thing that's in your body, maybe for on the order of a day or two, uh, maybe less. And it, it really doesn't have the capacity to, in and of itself, do anything to the host. So I think the only thing you're kind of left with at that point, again, is if there's some sort of immune cross-reactivity that could create a problem down the line. Well, guess what? You got that with the flu vaccine. You got that with all the other vaccines that you are required to give your child in order to send them to school. You can have that same immune cross-reactivity. So again, it's they're objecting to the mRNA irrationally, um, where the mRNA doesn't enhance the risk at all. Um, it's the same risk as any other vaccine. And so I think parents should just unfortunately try to accept it and move on. You know, it's really the fear of the new, not the fear of the fact. Yeah, I think that's well said. Fear of the <clears throat> new, not the fear of the fact. Okay, so let's talk about how we can help parents and help all of us to move on and crush COVID, as I said in the beginning, because you have created and they've been described as fun and informative videos uh, with your staff. Uh, I, I, all of you together, I guess, all your staff have created these videos, which I have uh, watched a few of them, and they're great. Um Talk about those videos. I mean, how did you come up with the idea? And uh, you're, I guess, an actor. Your whole team of their medical personnel as well as actors, which is doesn't no, always go together. People, yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it goes back to that that first vaccine, um, post-vaccine antibody test that I sent. And uh, you know, when I got that lab report back my whole office just basically erupted in like, you know, sort of like a joyous eruption. And, you know, you're sort of singing and dancing around, you know, I got vaccine, yeah, yeah, you know, like, and then somebody said, well, you should, you should do that to antibodies, or you should do antibodies to the Backstreet Boys song, Everybody. And we're like, oh, yeah, and then we were sort of, you know, joking around about it. But then as we joked, we were like, this is actually pretty awesome. And it just became something that we all decided we wanted to do. This was back in January. Um, I think for us, having been in New York, um, which is one of the places in the U.S. that was hit the hardest, uh, been shut down, been dealing with all the issues, been dealing with the fear, you know, been around the hospitals with the, you know, I, I mean, it's terrible to say, but like, you know, the, the freezer trucks, because they had so many dead bodies, they, they couldn't do anything but get freezer trucks. I mean, it was hell on earth in New York for a good two or three months. If you experience that, then I think the contradistinction of, of seeing that antibody test being positive and then feeling just joyously like maybe you're safe for the first time in, you know, seven or eight months and you don't have to suffocate in this N95 that, you know, you're scrambling to get new stuff all the time. And, it you know... For us, it was just such a dramatic turnaround that we just felt so much joy and we, we decided to do it and we had such a good time doing it. And we had such a positive response that we felt, look, maybe this will help some other people just feel the joy of feeling like you're safe, feeling like you're, you're getting past it. Um, and so, you know, we did a bunch of them from a variety of different angles. Um, and I think, you know, I do think it helped. Um, you know, obviously time will tell, but definitely people watch these and, and it made them think, 
And um, that's all you can really do. You know, try and give people the right information and put it in a package that they're willing to look at it. I think that the package they're willing to look at and feeling the joy, I think that's the great part about these videos because it is so somber and you're talking about dead bodies and all the stuff in the, in the isolation and quarantine and just kind of letting it all out. And uh, maybe it's part of that hospital humor. <laughs> I've always worked in hospitals. Um, right. And you can be jumping around about COVID and uh, people can identify with that. Also, I think it just as a society, your videos are on target because we listen, we listen to radio and we listen to, you know, lectures and we see stuff on TV, but, you know, seeing it and see is, is different. I think that's very effective. I think that's great. Um, so yeah. I assume you're going to, yeah. So uh, you're going to be continuing to make more of these. I think it, it'll probably taper off at a certain point. <laughs> um, but you know, we still have the bug, you know, we just, uh, we just made a new video uh, this week, uh, Pour Some Pfizer on Me, uh, to uh, a Def Leppard song um, that seems to be very well um, received. You know, again, we're, we're not at the finish line. So I think, you know, once we get there, we'll probably stop. Um, but in the meantime, you know, it's a nice creative outlet. It's something that we can do to help. Um, so if anyone's interested, you know, we kind of put them all over social media, on YouTube, on TikTok, and Instagram. Um, so if you go to any of our pages, you can see either full videos or ex- excerpts. And, you know, if you have somebody that uh, you think is on the fence and you want to share it with them, you know, those are very easy to share. Uh, so I'm happy to point people in that direction. But, yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we'll stop eventually, and then maybe I'll just become a regular recording artist. Who knows? I was going to say you're going to switch, uh, <laughs> change professions, right, from a plastic surgeon <laughs> well, to uh, – <laughs> A superstar. Pre-COVID, I had a band. We used to do cover tunes. Um, Great band name, Bourbon and Botox. Um, And so that was something I used to do a couple times a year. I've always been kind of musical and interested in performing. But, you know, obviously that got shut down from COVID. Um, So so I haven't done that in a year and a half. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a Bourbon and Botox reunion. Uh, Who knows? Well, if you do, I assume you'll put it on the, all those social media platforms and we can come see you or we, it'll, you'll be on a video or what? Oh, I hope, I hope it's live and I hope we're, we're all vaccinated and mask free and, uh, you know, in some dive bar in downtown Manhattan uh, or in uh, the bitter end, uh, which we like to play at too. Um, that'd be wonderful. You know, I mean, I'm really looking forward to those days. Hopefully yeah, they'll well, come that's- soon. Well, I'm going to come see you because I'm in usually in New York City, but I sort of I ran up to Albany. I go back and forth from Albany to New York. I'm slowly getting back into the city, so um, I expect to see you there at all those clubs. Anyway, thanks so much for being on the show. It It was great, and uh, yeah, thank you, Dr. Richard Westreich. Great work. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great time. Yeah, thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 